Our scripture reading today is Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians around 55 AD, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8 and 14. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. If we haven't met, my name is Russ Ramsey, and I am the pastor here at Christ Presbyterian Church's Cool Springs location. And it's great to be with you, kids. We have you in the service today. Normally, uh, we would have kids programming for um, nursery through fifth grade. Uh, We have an elementary message where the elementary kids would leave kind of right during the announcements. But this morning, we have everybody in here. And kids, if you're listening to me right now, what I'm going to do in this brief sermon is I'm going to tell a story. And so just put your story listening ears on, and I'm going to tell you a story. It's Easter Sunday, and we're starting a three-part sermon series about Jesus' resurrection. And Paul told the Corinthians something that I think is so important and honest and helpful, and it's this. He said, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, because if in this life we have only hoped in Christ then we are of all people the most to be pitied. His point is that if all we're doing as Christians is claiming or even believing that Jesus rose from the grave when in truth he didn't, then we should be pitied by the world because our religion is a lie. And the hope that we've clung to is ultimately going to fail us. But Christianity isn't built on hope alone. It's built on objective events which occurred in time and space that Jesus actually lived, that Jesus actually died, and he did so in the place of sinners. Unless Christ did something to actually save us, we are not saved. And if all we have in Christ is inspiration, then the best that we can hope for when our faith is in him is just to occasionally be inspired. But if that's all we have, Paul says we should be pitied for that. Why? Because the condition that we're in requires more than just hoping that God might redeem us. Every Easter, we circle back to the same story, 
we circle back to state as plainly as we can that the hope of anyone who would call themselves Christian is this. It's that Jesus Christ lived and died in our place and that he rose from the grave securing our victory over death's otherwise inescapable hold. Some of us come to Easter just not really that interested in being reminded of the details of what he personally suffered and what we personally require in order to be saved. And some of us also come here desperate to hear that story again because we're raw from the beatings that our own sin has been inflicting on us. And we need this kind of hope that is more than just inspiration. Later in this series, we're going to look at the evidence of the resurrection. That'll be next week. And then the week after that, the importance of the resurrection. And Dr. Russell Moore will be our guest here preaching, which I'm really excited about that. He's a, he's a good friend and, and one of the smartest men that I know. Uh, he's going to speak on the importance of the resurrection. But my objective today is just to tell a story. And it's to tell the story of Jesus' resurrection. Actually, I have more than one objective there. i just got to be transparent with you. I am going to tell that story. But then I'm also going to ask one question at the end. And here's what I will say about the question that I'm going to ask. It will be the most important question you will ever hear in this lifetime. So I'm going to tell you a story, and then I'm going to ask you the most important question that you will ever hear in this lifetime. I promise. But my prayer is that you would hear that what happened that first Easter morning, that you would hear it and that you would understand and that you would see this was for you. And that in that realization, you would come to know more of the depth of the love of God for you, seen in the gift of his son, Jesus So let's get to that most important question that you will ever be asked in your lifetime. Let's get there honestly by walking through the story of the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to start actually with his death. As Jesus hung on the cross, the weight of his own body pressed down hard on his diaphragm. And the searing pain of the nails holding his wrist and his feet in place made it very difficult and agonizing to position himself for relief, let alone to catch a breath. And there was a sponge drenched in sour wine that the soldiers lifted up to him, and he tasted it, and he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head, and he died. And Joseph of Arimathea, who was one of the one of the court of the chief priests, he, he came and he asked for Jesus' body. And Nicodemus came as well. He was also among the court of the chief priests. And he helped Joseph of Arimathea prepare and then bury Jesus' body. Mary Magdalene and Mary, uh, the wife of Clopas, were there too. And silently they listened as Joseph of Arimathea And Nicodemus did their job, and they listened as the two-ton stone rolled down its track and came to rest in its saddle, covering the mouth of the grave where Jesus' body had been laid. And Jesus was there wrapped in clean linen, 
and surrounded in spices, and he was dead, and he was buried, and this was Friday. On Saturday, the chief priests came to Pontius Pilate with a request. They said that Jesus had claimed that after three days he would rise from the grave, and so they asked Pilate, hey, in order that the tomb would be secure, we're asking for your help. Order that it would be secure until the third day, lest his disciples go steal him away, and the people say that he has risen from the dead. They wanted to guard against fraud from Jesus' disciples. And so Pilate told a guard of Roman soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. Now when Pilate says, go make it as secure as you can, there's a lot built into that that the soldiers would have understood. The Romans knew a thing or two about security. A Roman guard consisted of four to 16 men, and one to four of them would take turns in three-hour shifts keeping, guard, keeping watch. Each soldier was armed. He had a spear, he had a sword, he had a dagger. Because Rome didn't conquer the ancient world by being disorganized. Much was demanded of a Roman soldier's service, and his life would be demanded of him if he failed in his duties. And so to fall asleep on your watch could cost you your life. And not only that, but it could also cost you the lives of your fellow guard members as well. They could be punished the same as you for your mistake. And so they made Jesus' tomb secure. And they did it the way Romans would do it. So that if that tomb should turn up empty, it would not be a matter of fraud, but it would instead just be a mystery. And even if the, ha- even if the soldiers had fallen asleep, the two-ton st- uh, two stone covering the mouth of the tomb, just yards, of, yards away, would have required several men to move, and that's something that no soldier would have slept through. And so this leaves us with two crucial bits of information from that Saturday. That is that Jesus was dead. And the second is that his body lay in a tomb as secure as the Roman Empire could make it. This was Saturday. And then early Sunday morning, as they were probably just beginning to move from the numbness of grief into the sadness of it, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, as Matthew calls her, and Salome, who was James and John's mother, headed to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. And they wondered as they walked who would roll the stone away for them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came back and rolled the stone. And the angel was dressed in lightning, Matthew says. Can you picture that? Just dressed in lightning, radiant. And he struck terror into the guards so that they fainted. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen. As he said, come and see, and go and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And so the women ran with all the urgency of fear and great joy. That's what the passage tells us. 
And as they ran, Matthew tells us, Jesus appeared to them on their way to the disciples, and they fell at his feet and they worshiped him, but he urged them to hurry and tell the disciples what had happened. And so they did. You can imagine the scene. Jesus has risen. Many of them saw him die. Imagine the questions that the disciples must have asked the women. Well, what did you see? Well, we saw an angel dressed in lightning, and the tomb was empty. What about the Roman guard? Well, this man dressed in lightning caused an earthquake that made the grizzled soldiers faint with fear. And as the disciples listened to the breathless Mary and the others as they told them these things, Luke tells us their reaction. And that was that these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they didn't believe them. But not all of them, because Peter and John perked up, and they both took off running to the tomb. And in John's gospel, we get this wonderful Easter egg. John tells us that he and Peter ran to the tomb and that John got there first. And I just love that because it serves no purpose except for John to say, Peter and I were in a race and I won. And it's in the canon of scripture. Not bad, John. And John got there and he looked in first and he saw the grave clothes that Joseph and Nicodemus had wrapped Jesus' body in. And then Peter arrived and brushes past him and goes in. And they're looking at the most curious sight Because here's the thing about the grave clothes. This is how they worked. Grave clothes were wrapped around a corpse in such a way that there would be a layer of linen and then a layer of spice and then another layer of linen and then another layer of spice. You kind of see how this is going. And Jesus' linens, what they saw, were intact as though he had just passed through them. The body wasn't stolen, and it wasn't moved, because if it had been, there would have been 75 pounds of spices scattered on the floor and no trace of the burial clothes at all, but Jesus was just gone. And meanwhile, the Roman guards woke up and realized they had a problem, and they went to tell the chief priest what happened. The chief priest realized they also had a problem. And so after talking it over, the chief priest came up with a plan. And this is what they said. This is from Matthew 28. said, the chief priest, quote, gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people that his disciples came by night and stole him while you were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Meaning we will buy your lives. And so the soldiers took the money and did as they were directed. What's most interesting about this is that both the chief priests and the Roman guards were in the market for an alibi because neither of them had a story to tell that made any sense. In the days that followed, Jesus kept appearing to people. And he appeared in the flesh 
to over 500 of his followers, as Paul tells us in the text that we read. 500. Having already appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other women that morning, he appeared to Peter later that day, which was a special grace to this disciple who had only days before flatly denied even knowing Jesus when a servant girl in a crowd recognized him as one of Jesus' disciples. And then later that afternoon, Jesus appeared to two others who were walking on the road to Emmaus, and they began discussing what scriptures prophesied about him and this thing that had happened with this man, Jesus of Nazareth in Jerusalem, and they didn't recognize him. But later he revealed who he was to them while they were eating together. And then later Sunday night, the other disciples, except for Thomas, were in a room and they were talking about what happened to Jesus and what to do next. And Luke tells us as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Naturally, they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a ghost, Luke says. So Jesus showed them his scars And he invited them to touch him and to touch the scars and to see that they were real. And Thomas, who wasn't there, later said, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He was incredulous at the idea. And so eight days later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples when Thomas was there. And as is depicted in the Caravaggio in the back of the room, Jesus said to him, put your hand into my side, Thomas. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas saw him and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus appeared many other times. In fact, Acts 1-3 says he presented himself alive to his disciples after his suffering for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, Jesus commissioned those disciples to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. And then Acts 1, 9 to 11 tells us what happened after that. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were still gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go. To tell this story, we have to conclude it with a comma rather than a period, those 40 days. Because it's a story that is still unfolding. Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of God, but he will return. And he will return in the same way that those early disciples saw him go. And in the meantime, they were given a mission to tell the world about him. And the result was that churches began to spring up all over Europe, and Asia, and Africa. And eventually that same story would be heard in Australia, and South America, and North America. And now here we are. 
considering the story of Jesus' resurrection. And now I ask you the most important question that will ever be posed to you. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Why does it matter? Well, because as John tells us in his gospel, these things that happened, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing that you may have life in his name. I was thinking yesterday, I posted something on social media about how on Saturday of Holy Week, I feel like I'm just sitting on a secret all day long. Good Friday has happened, Easter's coming, and I feel like I'm sitting on a secret. And the secret is this, there is resurrection from the dead. And there either is or there isn't. And if there isn't, then we should be pitied. But if there is... What can prevail against us? Jesus hasn't yet returned. And so his disciples carry on the mission that he gave even now. And that is to be his witnesses wherever we find ourselves. And so if you find this story simply implausible, then I really want to invite you to come next week because we're going to look at some of the facts that give this story substantial credibility. But also know that because Jesus has not yet returned, there is still time. There's still time for you to believe in his name. Our passage tells us that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scripture and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. This has been God's plan all along to redeem us. And so I close again with this most important question that you will ever hear. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the story and the mystery of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but also the clarity of it, that you lived a sinless life in our place because all of us have fallen short of your glory, and that you died in our place because the wage of sin is death, and it was a wage we would all owe, and that you then defeated the power of death because there was no sin in you. And that you clothe us in your righteousness so that death can't touch us either. Father, it's not just that there's resurrection from the dead, as glorious as that is. It's that the reason there's resurrection from the dead is because we were made to live with you and not to die. We were made to know you and enjoy you forever. And this is the deepest longing of our hearts in all of the things that we chase for satisfaction and for identity and for uniqueness. It's a hunger to be known and loved as we are by the one who made us. Father, help us to see that and help us to believe. And we give you thanks for your resurrection as we celebrate it today. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.